Well, the Spirit moved among your preacher this week and decided that, unbeknownst to Emily, I will not be preaching about the sending out of the disciples, but instead the preceding passage about Jesus returning to his hometown. It comes from the gospel according to Mark in the sixth chapter, verses one through six. Hear now the word of God. Jesus left that place and came again to his hometown, and all of his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were troubling themselves as they were astounded by him. They said, where did this man get this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joses and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us too? So they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and even in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. The word of the Lord. Why is it, at least in Mark, but also in the other Gospels, especially in Mark, though, why is it that those who should have known him best actually knew him least? Ironically, in fact, those who know him are the demons. They know you are the Son of God, they said, and he ordered them not to tell anyone. But those who should have known him best, his hometown folk, even... His family seemed to have known him least. The passage says that when he stood in the sanctuary to begin teaching on the Sabbath, those gathered there were astounded, and that means deeply troubled. They were astounded and offended by his teaching because they knew him to be, well, Jesus from Nazareth, the carpenter. We grew up with him. We knew all of his foibles. We knew his idiosyncrasies. We know who he is. And then they demean him by saying, what is he doing up there? He's Jesus, son of Mary. You never say son of Mary. You say son of Joseph. But the reason they said son of Mary is because they knew of the intriguing possibility of his birth that he was born under suspicious circumstances. And so they are insulting him by calling him, you know what? Son of Mary. And we know his brothers, James and Joses and Simon. and uh, we, we know his sisters. We know the whole family. And now he stands up in the sanctuary and claims to be what's what? Who gave him that authority? 
Who does he think he is? It's true, of course, that familiarity does breed contempt. The word itself comes from the word family, same root. And that we in our own families have trouble defining ourselves apart from the whole family structure and system. When we try to step out of that and become something that we call or called to be or think we are, our family tends to resist it and to pull us back into the system. It's familiarity. And, and, and the contempt of that is they just know us so well that they know what's best for us. And in many cases, that's true. But it's also true at the same time that our job is to pull away from the family, too, to differentiate ourselves from the family. And in doing so, we become more fully ourselves, only hopefully to return back to the family in a new way. Some of that's true in this passage, I think, that that familiarity does breed contempt. It's the same thing that says that the expert at any conference is the one who comes from the greatest distance. It's hard to imagine someone who's local actually being that special. We do the same thing when we take for granted all the many blessings that we have over this July the 4th weekend when we celebrate our nation's birth our freedoms, our incredible blessings and gifts in this country, we tend to take them for granted easily. Just another July the 4th, just more fireworks and so forth. But when we think about it, how deeply grateful we are, we begin to see it differently. We're just too used to it. But if you ever talk to Agyan or Masita, two of our staff persons who have come to us from Bosnia, who know about not having such freedoms, they make you feel real guilty for taking our country for granted. They are so grateful to be here. They point out every possibility, the many blessings and gifts that we have. Then we see it through their eyes. We do this as well in church, at Riverside Church. In the past three weeks, we have hosted uh, almost 100 kids at Vacation Bible School with, I don't know, 40 or 50 different adults helping out during this process. We have hosted an average of 80 kids for three weeks, mostly outdoors unless it rained, at uh, reviving baseball in the inner city. Many of these kids coming from impoverished homes, uh, from the inner city. Uh, we have done that with incredible grace, uh, and, 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 it's, and I can't tell you how moving it is to see all these kids together doing and, and gathering in, in this fun play that's also helping instruct them with character and faith. We've just come back from Outdoor Challenge with 15 kids. All survived, of course, uh, at the leadership of Brianna and others. Uh, we're not supposed to be working this hard in the summer. But in fact, for some people here, there's so much work being done, it seems like the whole army is doing it. We just had our patriotic concert last week with the incredible gifts of the music program and the choirs, and then hosted 300 people for dinner by the uh, community uh, uh, group that feeds us and, and welcomes us and 
puts up the tables and the chairs over and over again. And, and we just sit around and think, yep, that's Riverside. But let me tell you, Riverside is way more involved in mission and ministry and programming than many of the churches I know. And I'm not saying that as a, because I'm proud of it. I'm saying that because how easy it is for us to take for granted all that we do. But when someone comes to this church from outside and sees all that we're doing, they go, that's unbelievable. The point is that familiarity, in a way, does breed contempt. In Jesus' case, is that all that's happening? They knew him so well, they grew up with him, and now he's up there standing like Mr. Big Shot, teaching in the synagogue. Some of that, I think. But Mark digs way deeper than just that. We've been brought up with the amazing birth stories of Jesus at Christmas. We celebrate it every year. They come from Luke mostly, but also from Matthew about how Jesus, when born, the angels sang Alleluia choruses and the wise men made their way to the creche. And seemingly the whole world, or at least all those in Bethlehem, knew that something special had happened in the birth of this child. And if not those in Bethlehem, certainly Jesus' mother and father, they knew that he had been born special in Matthew and Luke. But in Mark's gospel, we don't get any of his birth stories at all. He enters into the ministry on the first page as a fully formed adult at about 30 years old. No birth stories. Jesus gets baptized by John in the Jordan, goes into the wilderness where he's tempted, and then he comes out full force proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and healing those who were ill and including those who have been left outside. And the story of Mark is one event after another of these incredible healing ministries, powerful moments in people's lives where Jesus was present and brought them into a new place. And in the third chapter of Mark, even before the one I just read to you, there's this story about Jesus going home for the first time and all the followers that had come around him because he was such an incredible power. All, all the people there, more people that might follow than would follow even Tiger Woods and would used to follow Tiger Woods in a golf match, were following Jesus into his hometown. And, and, and the text in, in the third chapter of Mark says this. Those who knew him tried to restrain him from teaching and healing because they thought he had gone mad. Even his family. So he comes back again in the text I just read in this sixth chapter of Mark, and it's the same story. Jesus had done even more amazing things. In Mark, he had stilled the storm. He had even raised a 12-year-old girl from the dead. There were even more people following him now. And he stood up to teach in the synagogue, and everybody was troubled by it. And Jesus responds with that 
well-known quote. It's a double negative in the way it's written. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among their own kin and even in their own house. Because they refuse to believe in him, apparently no one would come to him for any more healing, and therefore he only did a couple of incidental healing moments before he left. And he was amazed at how much unbelief they had. Was it just familiarity breeds contempt, or more than that? What made Jesus contemptible to them was that by claiming to be more than he had been born into, he was breaking all of the social class systems that they lived in, a system based on exact caste value, based on your birth order, based on your gender, and especially based on the vocational family that you were born into. It started with government officials and then down to military officials and then down to priests and then down to business persons and then down to farmers and finally it goes down to tecton, that is carpenter, not just with wood but house builders, brick, stone, so forth. And then it goes to those who have absolutely no standing. Jesus is one step up from the lowest rung in the, in the social caste system. And he now is standing up in front of everybody claiming to be a priest. Who is he, they thought, that can do this? And he's undermining the whole traditional institutional system about how, who is up and who is down. Because he does not know his place. Doesn't he know his place? Who is he to do this? That's not even the deepest reason they had contempt. I think it was because they knew he was just like them. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, John says. The incarnational gospel says that the power and presence of God made itself real in this one named Jesus Christ who was born human, lived among us as human, just like the rest of us, way too close for comfort. Because if God can make God's presence known in one like Jesus Christ, Mary's boy, the brother of Josie's and James and... uh, Just like us, if God can be present in one like Jesus, just like us, then my gosh, God could be present in all the rest of our ordinary, commonplace world that we live in. God might even be present in and through us, in which case we too might change as Jesus did. That's what offended them the most. We should be astonished. The point is, now we had better watch out because God just might, in fact, call us to be more like Jesus and to do more Jesus-like things in the ordinary, common, local parts of our lives, even in our family life, for goodness sakes, 
and then we will really be in for it, for they may think we've lost our minds.